As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This is Pretty Much Pop, a culture podcast today discussing blurred culture, i.e. black nerddom. I'm Mark Linsenmeyer, and I always wanted a bag of holding afro like Sweet Lou on the Super Globetrotters cartoon. I'm Erica Spires, and I am so excited to do an entire podcast on portmanteaus. And I'm Brian Hurt. Too white to be a blurred, and the way nerd culture is going, possibly too uncool to be a nerd these days. <laughs> and our guest... Hi, I'm Anthony LeBlanc, and I am the interim executive producer of The Second City, and I'm also an on-site actor judge for Nickelodeon, and a blurred. I had reached out to you just because we had not had a pure comics episode, but you saved us the trouble of reading a lot of comics by suggesting blurdom. Do you want to give us your starting point on that? Why did you think this was interesting? I am a blurred, so it's, it's interesting to me because it's my life. But one of the things I think that's kind of cool, especially in the moment that we're in, is that place of like celebrating the idea of there's so much diversity inside of things, even inside of groups that we consider to be diverse, there's diversity in that as well. Like no one group is a monolith, right? And that's kind of the interesting part of like, you know, how I grew up, I grew up as a black man in the South, Southeast Texas, you know, the Louisiana border. One of those things that was always interesting to me was the idea of like what you like and what you do as determining your whiteness or blackness or those kinds of things being such a weird part of life. And so, you know, for me, I've always been a person where I've loved nerd things and then being confronted with the idea, well, that's not a thing that black people do. By the way, I'm a black guy. And one thing that's always so weird is that as I started to grow up and meet other people like me, there was this whole kind of community that you kind of started to land into of these folks who were nerds who happened to be people of color. And, you know, it wasn't until later that, you know, we kind of get this idea of this name blurred, which is basically it applies technically to anyone that's a person of color who loves nerddom, especially because of the way it kind of came about of it being Black and nerd bit together makes you blurred. And it really celebrates the the kind of awesomeness that is what nerddom kind of provides for someone who's othered. That it is this kind of hopeful place where people are able to rise above differences. People are able to, to go past the things that are put in front of them. Like that's kind of a, like most things that nerds love. Sci-fi, comics, anime, all those things kind of live in that world. So it kind of gives you this place where it's kind of this hopeful world you can look at. And that's what I think blurdom kind of is, is this place where you're celebrating all the parts and all the people and, and kind of celebrating the idea that being smart, being different is an awesome thing just as much as, it, as you celebrate your blackness and in your heritage. Blurred doesn't necessarily mean just black nerd. Does it also include what types of media that you consume? Or is it any sort of nerd? Like, is it black nerddom media? Is that like a, a focus of it or not at all? It's a wide range of things. And that's the thing is like it's an all-encompassing term of a lot of things. That's why even in that definition, like people have made it even more than like that first kind of scrubs world of it being used. This idea of It can encompass now most people of color that are nerds that like nerd things, even though it still comes from that black nerd world. And nerddom is. It's entertainment. It's being smart. Neil deGrasse Tyson is, is a blurred, right? He's a astrophysicist who is black and isn't afraid to kind of show off who he is and what he is. And that's kind of the fun of that. People being proud and kind of taking ownership of the idea of like, yep, yeah, I'm this and I'm this. And both of those things aren't mutually exclusive, which is part of the weirdness a little bit, too, of like weirdly ingrained in culture as a way to almost subjugate people of the idea of things that could help you rise above or things that are then ingrained in you as something that is negative. The idea of education and knowledge that's been perpetuated as negative. Other people see that as a thing, but also we will internalize that as something that also is something that is true. 
about us that then helps keep us down just as much as it is meant to by the other folks who created it to keep us down. I should have turned my phone off and I didn't. And I just got a text that said, saw the Hugo winners question mark. And so not that I wasn't totally listening to you, <laughs> Anthony, but I will mention that there has been a uh, black writer, N.K. Jemison, has been tearing up the Hugo Awards lately. And she just won, I say just, it was a couple days ago. And however time works in New Zealand, I don't know, actually. In- the clocks go the other way around. <laughs> Maybe it's tomorrow where she will have won already. Time on the Earth works mostly the same. you got to really get to a higher gravitational field before you really get to a place where it starts to really change and alter. I've seen Lord of the Rings. I know time stands still down there. It's all (laughs) just pastoral and beautiful. My degree is in computer science and physics. That's what I went to school for. That was actually what I planned to do for a living. And then I wound up doing comedy. It's weird. But specifically, my focus was AI. And my dream was to create AI for NASA. So you're both kinds of nerd. The distinction I'd heard before, we had a guest that was the host of the Geeks On podcast. And the way that they distinguished it was a geek is just an enthusiast about stuff, about sci-fi or whatever. Of course, you could be a philosophy geek or a English lit geek, but the, you know, the general term geek is referring to sci-fi fantasy superhero genre stuff like that. But a nerd means you're actually good at something. A nerd is like computer science, tech. Is there anything to that? So geek was a more open term. I personally think it's interchangeable. Words are semantics, right? You can define anything that you want any way you want as long as you set your Lincoln Lincoln Douglas debate type terms at the top and say, like, this is what I mean, and therefore this is the thing, right? And then you can then have that argument. Did you do LD debate? A little bit. My brother was huge into it. I did it for a tiny bit, but then I got on the academic challenge team and that became my life. So that's quiz bowl for those Midwesterners, things like that. So yes. yeah, that's what I did during high I did that and I ran track during high school. Those are my two things that I kind of did a lot of. I think track is okay as far as nerd cred. If you're a football or basketball player, then I'm not sure. Oh, hey, hey. There's a player for the Green Bay Packers who's like a huge anime fan. He's definitely like a weeb. He's like huge, huge. He has a whole like thing where he has like him dressed up as a Saiyan and like as Goku. And like he does like these kind of like go Super Saiyan and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. But it ranges all all things. You know, that's I think that's kind of interesting. I personally think if you're a person who loves baseball, you're in a certain way going to be a nerd because you have to be great with statistics. Those people who are great at those baseball stats, they're working math. That's what it is. We've all seen the comic, right, of the the jocks who are making fun of the Dungeons and Dragons players pouring over their statistics. And then the the next frame, they're pouring over their fantasy baseball statistics, which are just as complicated. Here's what I think is a distinguishing factor, though, because my husband, Drew, who's a super nerd, and, and I were having this conversation beforehand about nerds. And he was telling me, I'm so tired of people thinking that people who are nerds are j- just means that it's synonymous with somebody who's intelligent. And I was like, well, what is it exactly, right? So just looking at like basic Google dictionary, right? A foolish or contemptible person who lacks social skills or is boringly studious. Also, a single-minded expert in a particular technical field. So I think one of the things he was latching on to is it typically will mean somebody who is lacking some sort of normal social skill, right? So I think that's why you can have jocks who are nerdy. But I think in the way that most of us grew up, jocks were okay talking to people, right? They didn't really have a status of like, oh, that's so nerdy and you don't even know how to like handle us. Everybody still wanted to be like the jocks. That lack of social skill didn't really apply to them as much. The weird thing, though, that second definition, though, is that truly original definition, right? Is that you're singularly focused on a thing, which is like that Dr. Seuss thing, right? Is like that is the place that puts you into that thing where like you are an expert on this thing and you're focused on it and it's hyper, it's a hyper thing that you're into. Are you saying Sam I Am is a nerd? Because he's, he's only about the green eggs. I can't remember the book it's from, right? So the thing it's from, it's like, it was... If I ran the zoo... But that world of that singular focus is definitely the part that like makes it where nerd can mean so many things and you could be a nerd about blank or a nerd about why. And then we started to adjust that to the cultural definition of what nerd is, which is why then you get to that idea of blurdom, right? That like the cultural definition for nerd for a long time equated to intelligence, which is created in our Western society equates to whiteness to a certain degree. And that becomes a thing that locks you in a certain place of you now see this as these things that never was really intended to be. We put so many, the definition can be anything that you start to put on to things. And then if you do it long enough, we accept that it's true or it's always been that way. 
it seems like the concept of blurred fixes things that are wrong with both of the concepts of its elements. In that nerddom by itself has a lot of gatekeeping involved. And the way you presented it is, no, it's open to everything. And in fact, you can even be socially well-adjusted and be a nerd. It's just a matter of like your interests in certain things. Whereas people that are analyzing the Black experience, for me as a white person to say, but I was also picked on as a kid. I was a nerd. Is that at all like your experience that almost you can't ask that question because like, no, you're making it about you again, white person. But there are some commonalities, right, in just being an outsider, being rejected. And that's the common theme of why you would reach out toward fantasy, sci-fi, these things that maybe your peers were not into, even if it's English lit, like whatever it is that you're a nerd to that you're trying to get some world to escape from your immediate social situation, which is a bunch of people picking on you for whatever reason. That's the thing that's always is part of that intersectionality, right? The idea that there are a lot of things where they match up, but we have to understand that where things match, there's also things that are different, but we should be hopefully common on the things that match up, that we have to be about all the things, right? So there's places where hopefully people who have been picked on are able to understand how people have been othered, but also then understand the other thing of like, well, I also have that privilege that goes along with certain things and where those kind of all sorts of like, is it mutually exclusive? And the idea of like, I can benefit from privilege, but also experience otherness. And that is some of the things that I have responsibility to then of like, okay, so I can understand that part. So hopefully I can use my privilege to help change the things that then created that privilege in the first place. And that's where you get to that place of where you start looking at the idea of Starfleet or that you look to those things where you have both versions of the ideal world and the, and the, and the dystopian world. And you then find things inside of that to either look and aspire to or use a satire and allegory to kind of show and prove what things are and how the world is. So sometimes it also helps some people understand and get things that they wouldn't because they can't get out of their own way. In a world that is very different, X-Men, you can deal with the place of minorities who are being persecuted for who they are. And that you can talk about these things in a time when people are not willing to talk about it when it comes to race, because for that, that's too terrifying and too close to home versus a bunch of people who are mutants and have other powers and should be hunted down and, and eradicated from the earth with giant robots. When do you think Blurdom really came into its own? I mean, when did it go from being, hey, we have representation with one character? There's a two kind of different things. Blurdom has always existed. It just didn't have a name. The world of pop culture kind of gives it a name in a very popular show that I, I love. I love Scrubs. It's a great show. It's, if you haven't watched it, it's comic genius. It's fantastic, yes. But I think the big thing, I think, that helps most niche things in our world has been... Not only just the use of the internet, but the democratization of what the internet has done. You can find your niche and then really dive into it and find other people through that connectivity. So when I grew up being from Southeast Texas, there wasn't a lot of other folks exactly like me, but I did fall into my camp of like my people on my academic challenge team, like we we're nerdy folks. And of that group of four people, we were all different races. Like it was a white guy. We all have the same gender, which is not great. But a white guy, a Chinese American guy, an Indian American guy, and a black guy. You know, that's and that's we all hung out and we're friends. Getting girls to hang out with you is a whole different thing. So that's <laughs> we did have women who were, who were friends with us, but I understand that the idea of like that team was like nah, that, was, that was very skewed. But I didn't find a lot of other black folks who were like me really in, in school. And it wasn't until college that I really started to experience that and meet other people like most people do. You go to college, you start finding your tribe of people like you. Uh, and this is in the late 90s to early 2000s. And one of the big things I started to find and see, like this is the difference of like when I was younger, to get anime, I had to like go on a BBS bulletin board system for all you young people where you had to dial into a modem into the internet to someone's server and then get information and talk on a board. To then find people in San Francisco who had Japanese television that was being shown there where you would send them a blank tape and they would then tape anime for you and then they would mail it back to you. So technically it was skirting on the things of illegal, but it was because I gave you this thing and you recorded it and you gave it to me. I didn't pay you for it. And that's a whole thing. And that was how I first started watching anime on the regular past just the initial things I was able to find. Akira is the only thing I could ever find and, and stuff like that initially. And I started to learn about other shows. And I think that that difference to college to then, you know, when I first started being an adult of like, now I can go on the internet and just find a thing. I can just download or stream a thing. 
And then also I can find people like me in a Facebook group or in a, on a web page that someone set up to then get together and even find other people in my area that I can meet in person and then hang out with. That idea of using technology to find community is the thing that has allowed a culture like this and many others start to really flourish and become things that are now more phenomenon that then start to alter the world. And I think the last little bit of that too is the the people who pioneered it grew up and now are the people leading it you know so you, you see those people on tv you see people on different fields where it's like hey you love star trek and this is the thing that led you to do this and now you're this amazing professor who is talking on tv doing a cool show where everyone thinks you're cool and this is now a cool thing that we get to all experience and see one thing that caught my eye i rewatched black panther last night i think the last time I saw it was before we had started this podcast. And you really watch things with different eyes when you know you're going to have to discuss them. And did a little bit of looking online afterwards to see that there was a fair amount of dissension among people in terms of what their takes on it were. And I feel like this blurred culture is actually big enough to have dissension in the ranks in a way that when you have a small subculture, you sort of have to circle the wagon sometimes and all be on the same side to protect your thing. And whereas now it's maybe big enough to foster enough difference of opinions, which is a great thing. There's so much nuance, and that's why like, Black Panther is an amazing movie. Everyone gets that. But even people who are like, you know, be like, ah, you know, like, is it the best movies, you know, as far as if you're in film school? Like, people all understand the cultural phenomenon slash what it is. And, and I think that one of the beauties for me for Black Panther, uh, well, two, uh, one was just this awesome experience of like, I've seen it so many times. And I remember the second time I saw it in the theater, I got to see it with a bunch of kids who we, Second City, we do things called After School Matters, where you work with teens, mostly a mixture of uh, minority teens in the Chicagoland area who do different projects and things where they get paid for that work after school. So you can do art, you can do things that are more skill-based, and we do things that are improv-based. And so all of the different improv groups that are run by different schools kind of come to do a bigger show at Second City. And then we also worked out where we got to take all these kids to go see Black Panther. We got a theater that paid for it, and that was happening a lot, that paid for it to have tickets for them to come see it. I remember crying at the end of that movie the first time I saw it because I was like realizing, oh, my God, I've never seen this in my life where this is a thing as a billion dollar movie that is mostly black folks. And they were the main characters and they didn't have to play stereotypes and they were people. Right. Their blackness was very rarely called out other than by each other when it's about what does it mean to be this, which I think going into my second point. But then the second time of seeing that in the theater, I remember like after the fact going home and being like crying about it, having all these kids cheering at the end of that movie and then having this discussion about, I've never seen that before. I'm doing this improv thing. And now I see people doing what I want to do. And that idea of being able to like mixture of that when it comes to just the performers, but then also them just seeing like this amazing hero that sets just who they are. And the women are so strong in that movie. Oh, so many things, right? And it's the thing so funny about it too, which is so crazy, which is pretty much the newer version of your Black Panther of like, you kind of have little things, shifts of like, oh, they're Black Panther, had a lot of things forward thinking, but also you think about like, those are all his wives. It's real weird. You know, don't get too deep in that, of the original <laughs> version of that. It's all new and it's different. But I think the thing that about that, that it kind of comes back to is that there's a lot of complexity in that movie of looking at like how you change Killmonger and who he is and, and kind of that, if it was so amazing, shift and, and redefining that character of really this idea of like, what's your responsibility when it comes to black culture and black people of like, should you help? Should you not? Should you seclude yourself? Should you not? What are all those things of like, or what does it mean to be black versus the experiences you grow up in? Like all those things are playing out in that. And I think the biggest defining point of that entire movie, which was for me, like, wow, I can't believe a Disney movie just did this was when Killmonger kills himself. And he says that thing of like, I'm going to die because even my ancestors knew it was better to die than to be in chains. I was like, that's insane that a Disney movie allowed that to happen. And then also that's now part of what Marvel is and what that defines how Black Panther, you know, how you look at, you know, Chitala and how he then now chooses to make Wakanda. Right. Like that affected him and that idea of that death of that person and how he died and what he lived for became influential now. And then how you see that play out, right? It's, that's amazing. Like you wouldn't expect that nuance of the philosophical soul of black people being played out in a Marvel movie. And that's what's so amazing about it. 
I heard Disney did make them take out that he was going to have the bluebird on his shoulder as a way of self-criticizing Disney's song itself. <laughs> but they just took the... They put little, you know, markers and, you know, they put the disclaimers in front of Dumbo, but, you know, they still won't show Song of the South because they know it is terrible. <laughs> Speaking of illegal things, still findable online if anyone, for educational purposes, it's out there. The thing I noticed this second viewing on Black Panther got me thinking a little bit about Inglorious Bastards, which, have you seen that, Anthony? Yeah, mm-hmm. It has come up on previous podcasts and this idea of contrafactual fantasy and how valuable is it and this nation of Wakanda doesn't exist. It's this wonderful creation, but at the same time, just how good is it as a thing to be culturally attaching yourself to the way that this group of Jewish soldiers did not, in fact, kill Hitler. And, you know, I reveled in this fantasy as a Jew when I saw that movie, but one of our guests really thought it was a negative thing. And that's something that we can debate. But at the same time, I sort of don't want anyone else debating. And I don't know if there is a part of how you consume this that you'd rather people who weren't black just not have opinions about or like let's like leave that to me to have my emotional reaction to in a way that yours is it's legitimate but maybe don't talk so much about it well it's going to be different but how we talk about things our experiences are different and that's just the way things are right just as that's your your sum of a mixture of your upbringing and your dna wise right there's a lot of those things that contribute to things that you are so that's going to make any conversation different but for me personally i want people anyway anybody to talk about black panther because that puts it in a place where like all the things around it become things that make change right the fact that you you went to spend money on it so people are going to bank more on on black people and people of color as as being able to drive billion dollar movies which before it's like well it's not a white male no one's going to care in superhero movies if nothing else the thing it has done is proven that wrong when it comes to so many different things that are not the things that fit i think when it comes to just talking and opening the door to talk about race in a certain way or afrofuturism in general allows that to happen in any kind of way we can talk about this idea of science and technology but also respecting and understanding the culture that's been lost in america to a certain degree but still somewhat hidden inside of the things that are still american that have been then whitewashed and appropriated like southern foods you know and then certain things we have the same way the other way with indigenous people of like tomatoes and things of that nature that are like so a part of european culture but is technically indigenous to the americas and that idea of like the weirdness a little bit of like italian american food is so based on an item that is taken from the indigenous people of an area, then made European and then brought back and then made American. And so there's, there's a lot of things in that that becomes a part of this of like, what happens if a secluded area of people then are able to then live on their own without Western colonization? What does that look like? That's, a, that's an interesting thought process to work through. And I think opens up a lot of things that will allow some people to also think through like, Everything in history has been defined by this, but what if it wasn't that way? What does that mean? I think that's a good thing to think about, just as much as Inglorious Bastards is like, yeah, that didn't happen, but then it starts to make you think through the idea of like, not me personally, and I think about Inglorious Bastards is the idea of like, why shouldn't any group be wanting to do that thing? It starts to point out the idea of like this feeling that this group has towards this situation is something we all should feel or have some kind of connection to just as much as when we watch Roots, like you don't have to be a black person to understand the magnitude of what that story is and what that journey is. It's real, right? But it still allows you to then live in, you know, Mark was kind of saying earlier, the, the things you identify with, but also the things that are different and understand why it's different and then owning that difference. That's what alt history stuff should do is it helps you to understand some of the nuances of the moments that you couldn't really play out or you can think about or you're not willing to think about or confront until it's kind of shown to you in a certain way. Like, it didn't have to play out this way, but that's how it did. So you got to own up to the fact that it did happen that way. And it'll be some of the only exposure some people ever get, right? They will never maybe understand what the actual Black Panthers or Malcolm X we're saying because they will never learn about it, but they'll hear the words of Killmonger and has maybe doesn't have the same cultural, historical gravity, but it might open people's eyes in a way that they wouldn't have been open otherwise. Yeah. Now let's take a quick sponsor break. 
Five months into working from home, it's more important than ever to listen to what you want to listen to, not what your family slash new office mates are listening to. Now is the time to get a great pair of wireless earbuds. But before you go off and spend hundreds of dollars on a pair, you have got to check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. Raycon earbuds are quality, and they start at about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds out there. Their newest model is the Everyday E25 earbuds, and they are the best yet, with six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, stronger bass, and a sleek, compact design that gives you a super effective noise-isolating fit. I can't emphasize enough how comfortable these earbuds are. The sound quality is perfect for listening to music or podcasts. Mine are a gorgeous rose gold, but you can get them in a variety of colors, and they stay subtly nested in your ears without any dangling wires or knobs. Raycon was founded by Ray J, and celebrities like Snoop Dogg, Melissa Etheridge, and Brandy are obsessed with Raycons. Now is the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com and use the code PRETTY15 for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. That's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash pretty and use the code PRETTY15. Now back to the discussion. Another character I wanted to mention is from the DC world and that's Cyborg. Oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, I have nothing to say about Cyborg, but Erica was saying portmanteaus, and I wanted to give her another one. So. <laughs> DC is always interesting because it has such an interesting weirdness to... And I'm always... I mean, I'm sure I'm gonna, people that listen to this will probably be... You know, you choose a side, right? I'm more Mar- Marvel than I am DC. I just about there. But I do watch all Polanti shows, uh, as I mentioned to you guys a little bit beforehand. It's my guilty pleasure. I watch all of them. But it's interesting in DC... You really had this world of where, like, there have been black characters. Very, I mean, you know, Green Lantern for a long time was black, right? But I, the idea of that is not so weird. But DC doesn't embrace, or didn't to me, always embrace the social satire that Marvel did and was willing to do. Now, eventually, they did. You know, at some points with like, you know, you have your Green Arrow and, and Speedy having drugs. You know, like there's things that kind of dealt with drugs and things like that. But it still doesn't have that same magnitude of like when you really look at what you consider the pantheon of Marvel folks, even if they're not people of color, they're still standing in for that otherness of some kind. The X-Men are standing in for this certain thing that we all kind of get and we understand. Black Panther is one of the first comics I really loved and got into along with X-Men. Like Those are the two things that like I gravitated to when I was a child of reading things, right? Superman just didn't do it for me. Batman was kind of okay. Like, they, I didn't see that same thing there. And as stupid as it is, you know, like, I'm looking at, like, Superman and Batman, and I'm like, oh, I don't see a lot of black people in here. But there's a black dude who's running around in a, a suit, and then Bishop is a weird guy at a time who's, like, not the most main person, but I, I like him. And then I got this guy Gambit who's Cajun, so I'm Creole, so I'm into that. So, like, that little bit of representation, even as a thing that got me into looking at it, and then I found deeper things in there to start to really understand what are the stories, what's happening. It's kind of the funny thing, too, of like you start to find the same place why sci-fi, anime, those things really work is because a lot of times there's no race on things or the future has a very different look. So an alien is easier to like identify with. So you're then able to tell stories in a cool way on both sides that can really challenge what you think and what things are about. It seemed like in the 90s or even talking about Star Trek or whatever, we didn't really talk about race a whole lot. We did have something else standing in for that, but we didn't specifically talk. It wasn't okay. It wasn't PC to talk about whites and blacks so much then, right? And now we're getting a lot more of that conversation going because it's important for white people to understand that, oh yeah, whiteness is a thing. So <laughs> it is, <laughs> it is that's, a thing. It is. And that's an interesting thing. I think that we're seeing in the things that are now gaining more traction is that we can now see that there's an ownership of blackness and we can't just immediately assimilate and go into a world of like color doesn't exist. That's the difference between the idea of like being anti-racist, right? That idea that like just that idea that color blindness or I don't see color is still participating in a system that is racist, right? That the non-action is just as bad as the action uh, with it versus the being proactive and being against the thing and trying to rectify and change it and and alter it where it is, you know? And I think that there's a lot of things that have done that. I think back to, and this is the thing that you you all heard that Nichelle Nichols story, right? About her being Martin Luther King, right? 
No, I know who Nichelle Nichols is, but I don't know that story. <laughs> is it the story that he talked her into staying on the program? Yeah, that was the whole thing. Oh. She was gonna, she was gonna quit. She was like a you know well known like Broadway actor and, and was doing that. And Gene Roddenberry had convinced her to be in the show, and she did the one season and was like, okay, cool, this is cool. I did this. I'm out. And we let you sing a couple songs. We let you show your talent a little bit. Yeah, and, 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 and definitely, she was working the controls and getting to get those calls, right? You know, but it was the first interracial kiss ever on television was on Star Trek. So, you know, this is, that's, a, that's a huge thing. She was going to quit, and then she wound up meeting Martin Luther King, and he told her, like, you can't quit. It's like, the only two things I let my daughters watch are the news and Star Trek, because I want them to know what's happening in the world, and I want them to see a future where they exist. And they're doing something other than just working for people or serving people. And, they, that, and then she's like, I had, I had to stay on the show. Part of that is like, even those small moments of like a Western in space was able to talk about so many things philosophically, including things about race. And that is a, such an amazing thing. It was one of the things I love about, you know, Star Trek was one of my first kind of gateways into nerddom a little bit with my brother and watching that. And for me, that was Next Generation. And seeing Jory LaForge and, and Worf and even your Guinans, you know, in the world, you know, there's just like really cool things about that. But, you know, I still one of my first things I ever wrote at Second City originally was a song called The 24th Century. What's a rap about the idea that still in the 24th century, we're still the people like working in the engine room and like working security and, and serving you drinks. Right. In the warring culture. Also, yeah, yeah, and there's a certain part of that too, which is also ingrained to that systemic things. But you know, that's that slow process march towards and time towards betterness. You know, what is the difference in what we see in shows like Star Trek and in Afrofuturism? Is Afrofuturism necessarily sci-fi or not, or is it? How would you describe that? So I would describe it, and this is once again anything about definition. Afrofuturism, <laughs> by nature, is this idea of embracing. Two things. I think it's embracing the fictional idea of what is a future, or what is the present or the future be like if you let that Afroculture live its own life and have its own breath and be able to develop as it wants to develop. So there's some of that where it comes with your Black Panther, which is like you're secluded forever. And what does that look like? And there's some things that are more like the future is black. What does it look like in a future where that culture is able to then thrive? And then there's another part of the Afrofuturism, which is more of that practical aspirational nature, which is like, I'm now talking about and thinking about black tech, black entrepreneurship, black success. In the present day, this is a thing that I'm also trying to celebrate. The idea of like, there are people that are black that are doing amazing things in sciences. There's people doing amazing things in, in all kinds of facets. If we celebrate that, that becomes a part of, of what makes the future better. And, and that kind of mixes into like a mixture of also the, the kind of third piece, which is starting to go back and look at where that culture, that Afroculture, can also influence our everyday lives, whether it be in, in, in dress and music and incorporating those things into things we do. Even though it might be something that was lost to some of us, it's something that people can still embrace and find and be able to experience in different ways. Even in parts of this country where it still exists, you know, like the Gullah culture, South Carolina, where like there's amazing things just around that idea. Like there's young people in that area who are learning that language. You know, and that's the thing that I kind of connect with and the idea of like, I don't speak Creole. Like my mom learned French to talk to her, her grandmother who only spoke Creole and never spoke a word of English. That's a dying language that people don't speak anymore when it comes to like American Creole, different than Haitian Creole. And the idea of like, that's a part of that kind of Afroculture that is 50 years from now probably not exist. And the same thing with a lot of, you know, indigenous folks in America, same world where the language is going and then soon other cultural things will go. So that's another part of that Afrofuturism in which you're seeing and preserving and playing with that idea of, of that cultural experience and seeing what it looks like if like we just celebrate it and make it part of the thing that is what we just exists and thrives. I assume if you watch all the DC stuff, have you seen the the Marvel, like the uh, Cloak and Dagger, which actually had a subplot where they tried to celebrate Creole, that they had yeah. one of the, the characters, the love interest's mom, or who was, you know, was some kind of uh, voodoo, you know, had some of that in there. When I was wondering about Blurreds in, in general, I listened to a bunch of Blurred podcasts, and some of them seemed to go back and forth between, like, this could just be white guys talking about nerd culture. Like, I'm hearing no difference at all. They're discussing the same properties. And then they would shift and have a very like racial consciousness critique 
episode and like, you know, be bringing in dear white people or something like that, which is not a nerd property by itself at all, right? And dear white people, it's not really any different than like someone brought in something that you're kind of nerdy about the structure of the way it's put together. Because we want to also search out and talk about the culture and cultural relevance of things, that also becomes a part of it just as much as you would talk about anything that's culturally relevant on a nerd podcast of any kind. It's all white folks. They're going to talk about a thing that's huge or might come up. So Dear White People was definitely like an interesting show that got a lot of traction, especially based on time. I mean, there's so many things now that have like this summer is like, man, you just found this thing out. You know, that's kind of the funny part of that as people go look for it. They're like, I got to learn about black people. I'm freaking out. <laughs> Please do that. I think sometimes we always think that something does have to run a certain lane. And I think that what blurred them or any of those other groups, there's tons of them, right? That you start to see is like it shows just as much as white people aren't monoliths, you know, other people aren't monoliths, men and women aren't monoliths. No group is one thing, right? It's a, it's a spectrum of people inside of those things. And so not only can you find your tribe in it, but also you can celebrate the things that you aren't. I'm definitely, if I try to look at what are my nerd things that I tick off, you know, like that weeb culture is a large part of who I am, you know, even that's a derogatory term about like Western folks who are in love with Japanese culture to a point where it's annoying to some people. But the black weebness is like so strong and so like insanely huge. Seeing things you meld here I am where like we have a bunch of folks who are just talking like a bunch of folks, you know, comparing like who's the better football player, who's the better X, but they're talking about who's the better of the big three. But then you're having those folks speak and talk and interact in a way, which is something that just reminds me of my dad and his friends hanging out on my grandmother's porch talking about life and stuff like that. So I can identify in that same way of like, it's like watching old black men talking about is Naruto better than Luffy? Naruto's the best of that group. But you know, let's get rid of that. But in that land, like seeing those things meet each other is what's so amazing. And there's some really cool shows that did that in such an amazing way. That's why the Boondocks is like such an amazing show because not only it's funny, it's satirical, but it's, it's a black man who's creating anime is drawing in a style that he thinks is great and, and is a great way to put forth these black experiences and that's such an amazing thing to see just in the same way you flip around to stuff like which you'll kind of see Cabo bebop or other stuff like that which is like borrowing from jazz and black culture to then soundtrack this one of the most amazing anime series ever done. That interchange and that sharing of ideas of like game respects game, right? That's that whole kind of thing that becomes a part of that. And I think that's kind of the beautiful part about it. And nerddom, we, we do that a lot. We do that more than regular life. We can fight about stuff. And you're also like, yeah, 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 you're, you're, that's pretty cool, man. You know, I'm going to think that's pretty cool because we kind of live in that otherness a little bit too. And I, like you kind of said, Mark, you know, that you can identify a little bit more with that. You can be a Trekkie and know that you're probably going to see every Star Wars film that comes out still. Yes, 100%. And if you really are in that strict camp, which is weirdly video game culture, which I also am into, it's part of that nerddom too, like really polarizes. But that's one of the bad things about the internet is that the polarization sometimes gets real weird for people can live in there like, oh, Xbox is trash. You're all trash. <laughs> do you think that blurdom tries to handle that? No better way than a lot of other nerddoms do in terms of like, let's not gatekeep, let's invite people into this and let's share that nerddom together. It happens everywhere. There's those things where like, I think it's kind of interesting, like where some famous black folk have like, some people are, they're cool. Some people are like, oh, are they really in one of us? It's the same way in the opposite end, which, you know, and it's all to me always kind of funny to me. of like, well, you know, it's the same way happened the other way. Like people question whether you're black enough because of you like a nerd stuff. Why are you going to do that the other way of like, oh, are you blurred enough to really be repping this? Or, you know, like, you know, <laughs> Donald Glover, you're cool. But like other people, well, I don't know about you, you know, and that's Mickey Minaj. You really, your video game stuff was happening right now, you know, but like, I think, in the end, I think that there is a little bit more, though, I think, in blurred culture of you celebrate a lot, I feel like. like I'm in a couple of groups. There's like one Facebook group, which I've been in for a very long time, which is like that Planet Ujorn. It's like the extraordinary journey of Black Nerd. You know, it's like a huge, a huge, huge, huge Facebook group. I don't go on Facebook a lot, but it's one of the few things that I do like reading and checking out where people are like, check this out. This is awesome. This is cool or that kind of stuff. But you still get that same world of like, who's invited to the picnic? That's going to be everywhere. Humans are, are weird that way. Always find some reason to fight with each other. 
I think it is heartening that we seem to be at a point where things can get made without too much being taken into account of what the intended audience is. With this idea that, well, we have to make something that is going to be palatable to a white audience or we can't make it. And, and sure, we know that black people will watch this or we hope they will. But if it doesn't appeal to this other group, then there's not money in it. And I don't want to suggest that money doesn't go into decision making, but I feel like we are now at, at a point uh, certainly with user created content some of the you had pointed us to a few youtube channels that i wasn't aware of and it's clear that nobody cares if i'm watching it or not i've enjoyed some more than others some i just don't even know that the references <laughs> enough to appreciate and others i do and that's that's great sorry i should have that in front of me the the name of Oh, yeah, King Vader. Oh, King Vader is great. King Vader. Oh, my God. So funny. I want my day to go like that with just people dancing around me in a way that I would have more energy. And his whole thing is like hood versions of anime. That's his whole thing. And it's great. It's amazing. Right. Thank you. So that for our, our listeners, that's definitely worth checking out. But yeah, I don't think anyone said we're going to make this for Brian living in the suburbs of St. Louis. But at the same time, if it's something that I will get something out of, it's there for me, which is, as you said earlier, at my fingertips if I want it. And that's kind of the interesting thing I get that the internet has done, is that you can make things for yourself that other people like, and then that becomes a community, and then all of a sudden becomes a thing that you, you kind of start baking. And it's weird that, you know, in the industry right now, like a lot of times we're asking like, how many followers you got, how many views you get, how many clicks you get. That is also changing that. The other thing that's changing it, too, I think, is the representation up the ladder. The fact that, like, Jordan Peele now wields a certain amount of power to be able to create things and get things done, right? And that's kind of the amazing part of that. There's certain things in which, regardless of how you feel about certain folks or what they do or what they don't do, there's something impressive about the idea that this person has the ability to support voices that are different. And that's across the board. You're seeing more women, more people of color, more people being able to have the ability to then make money and then turn that money into things that then support other people through production houses or groups. And that comes a lot from technology, right? The idea that like the internet allows you to put things out in a way. You can crowdsource certain things. You can film and do things at a lower cost that is not prohibitive and an elitist. So that allows somebody who's really passionate about something can use an iPhone and make a movie that's amazingly good and well shot and it goes up and then hopefully someone sees it and says, I want to give you a bunch of money to do that with better cameras and let's now make that happen. And that process is what's made this like very different and very huge. That's also what's very different now about you. That's where you see those things make it. You don't get get out if you don't have Keegan and Jordan creating this really funny show where they already in life, because like I know Keegan much more than, than Jordan, in Chicago, Keegan was working at Second City when I got hired there, and he always created material that was, this is funny. He celebrated his blackness, and there's some amazing scenes that I toured that I was like, I wanted to do because I knew that I believed in what he was saying, and I loved Keegan so much. But he also did goofy, crazy stuff too. And the things about Key and Peele, it's so great is that it was both, right? They were they just who who they were and didn't back away from that, but also were funny and, and had the weird runouts of their whole thing of like going to absurdity that was just amazing to watch. Like I show on my so I taught for a long time at Columbia College in Chicago as part of our comedy studies program. I would show Key and Peel sketches, especially like the one uh, have you ever seen it, the one with like the alien apocalypse has happened. They're running around with guns trying to find out who's aliens or not. They're using how the white person's reacting to them of whether or not they're an alien or not, which is just so funny. <laughs> but it's this place where you're mixing sci-fi, you're mixing these tropes, you're also talking about race. It's very short. It's hilarious. But there's just great bits there. And like one of the two best things is like the one of the people they don't kill is an older black white guy who's like, oh, oh, don't hurt me. And he runs away. It's like, yeah, yeah, he's fine. But then, you know, at the end, they wind up, uh, there's a guy who's like, throws his keys to him. He's like, oh, God, thank you. Here, here, throw a car around. And then they wind up killing him. And then the white woman who's with them is like, is he an alien? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, and there's, and there's this great commentary in that. But just all those wonderful things together and that kind of blurred them. But then, you know, that allows for Jordan to start making this empire that he's kind of created that is amazing to see and such a good thing. Like Get Out is one of the best movies. It's so perfectly done. It has so many great twists, such a great satire, shot so well. There's so many great things in that. 
it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, man, like everyone should watch this movie. I guess a movie I would show someone in, in a film school for sure. You're seeing all the things there. You know, it's art, it's satire, it's funny, it's sad, it's, it makes you angry. It's just so good. Where, you know, where I think like Us, for example, like I think Us was a stronger horror movie than I think Get Out. But I think Get Out had more of a effect to it because there's so many things you didn't see coming and then like the turns are so intense it's much more scathing i think in its commentary too in a way that i think that us you get it and you understand it and it's there but there's something like that auction part of it of get out it's just like it's uncomfortable for people to watch and see that you kind of have that moment where you're like this could be real this could be a real thing that I think us didn't have that. It was us was a little more sci-fi, right? It was a little bit more in that bend, a little bit more in that more Twilight Zone. I love Twilight Zone. It's one of my favorite <laughs> things ever. But like us is a little bit more like your eye of the beholder, a little bit more in that that turn kind of thing. Or I'm trying to get another really fun one that really has a big extremity of like bigness. Where like I think like Get Out is a little bit more of like the which is my favorite Twilight Zone episodes of all time is all the time in the world. The thing that's hard to watch in that is like you feel that dude's pain as he's just like shit on by sorry I swear crapped on by everybody. You can swear. I can go it's all good. By by everybody in the in the world in his life, and then he finally gets it. It's like nah, you know that original ending of Get Out. As much as I'm glad it wasn't it, I kind of wish it was it because it was more. That was the most real ending. I don't know if you've seen that or know that. Let's hold off on the spoiling of that, but it was going to be more bleak. Let's say it that right. Yes, <laughs> bleak is not the word. It was going to be real. That's the way to put it. Something I think I need to add to that, Anthony, and I hope this doesn't come off as white splaining. No, I have nothing to say. I just wanted to use <laughs> another portmanteau for Erica because we're getting close to the end. <laughs> Before we let you escape, we need to ask you about, do you have any specifically blurred comic book recommendations? Since that's initially what we come to you with. This made me look at a little bit of Tanahishi Coates's. I went through a big comic reading period several years ago, so I haven't returned to it since he started doing it. Because I thought that was really interesting that like, here's a guy that's lauded as like a leading black intellectual and, you know, writing the most important stuff you should read about social change. But now he's also doing not just Black Panther, but Captain America. So I got a little bit into that, but I feel like I need to read a couple of years of that to kind of really get what his point is. Definitely that stuff is great. And the Roxane Gay has also, like Women of Wakanda is like one of the it's an amazing things to read, I think, and check out. And that's one of the things I think that I would say like the other things for me would be more like some people or, or shows. If you haven't watched Boondocks, you should get your life together and watch Boondocks. There's also, you know, some really fun nerdcore folk things that are kind of cool. If you've never listened to nerdcore, there's also black nerdcore folks. Like, Mark's like, what? Nerdcore is like nerd rap. Okay. Optimus Rhyme and MC Chris, and there's a lot of people in that world. But that's like the white folks, they're black nerdcore rappers. So like Mega Rand is somebody like I always like to check out and was always into too. Samus is another great nerdcore rapper. Watch them as a TV series, man. Might be one of the best things I've seen that has taken existing property and then made it its own in a way that elevates the original property to something that exceeds what the original thing is, but also celebrates the human that made that thing that certain way. It feels like something that if you had a modern day Alan Moore, he would make that thing because his whole thing was the commentary about the time that he was in. And this is so much a commentary about the time that we're in. And just like the idea of the opening sequence, that the crazy part is like, I know about that story. I've heard about it before. The amount of people that Googled whether that thing was real or not, and then finding out it's real, was the game changer in the trajectory of that. And so I think that if you have not watched it, read the comic novel, watch the show. It wasn't as great by, by dude is not black, but it really celebrates black voices in a cool way. Some fun, cool anime that kind of lives in that world in between, like Afro Samurai, and even Kobe Bebop has like a jazzness to it, even though it's not. There's a lot of things where black cultures kind of celebrate some of those things. The last kind of thing for me that celebrates that blurredness is really taking some time to go online and check out some really cool TED Talks and things from like black scientists and, and people who are kind of using and talking about how race and technology kind of come together. There's a thing I kind of shared with you 
you all beforehand, which is um, the show doesn't exist anymore, uh, but there's a show on BET with Robin Thede, who was like, um, she's all, she did Second City stuff as well. She now is part of the Black Lady Sketch show that's on HBO. She used to have a show on BET where she did a whole thing about Afrofuturism. And one of the things she talks in there is she interviews someone talking about AI when it comes to censors. And the idea of like how sensors by nature are calibrated for lighter skin. So when you, a lot of times you use a sensor, depending on how old it is, you have to sometimes turn your hands over so that with your tan or black skin, it doesn't register as a thing. But then when you show it your palms, it then will work. People fix that over time, but like the idea of the unconscious bias and just how we build things is such a part of like what Afrofuturism is, is the idea of thinking about how tech and our system is built in a flawedness of the systemic nature of things. And there's something kind of like starting to understand that, check it, change it, is a thing that I always encourage people to do and look. Neil is your gateway. Start going down that hallway of like seeing some other folks who might be in there. I think we need to, at this point, point any listeners to pretty much pop episode 26, We Watch Watchmen, and episode 52, The Twilight Zone from Serling to Peel. And I think we need to do a future podcast on TED Talks. I think they are educational vaudeville and definitely something that falls within pop culture. Well, I'd love to do a more general Afrofuturism exploration. I, you know, hopefully we'll get some more things that are, you know, as big as, as a Black Panther and pop culture representing that because you still had a society that they decided succession based on combat. <laughs> like that hardly seems like that's the future that we all want to shoot for. So there were elements that were really cool, but let's just, just get like several more voices presenting alternate Afro futures. It's a thing though that's, that's celebrating the idea of like tribal culture, right? For a long time in tribal culture, wars didn't end in death. It was a thing where you showed things, you kind of fought, but then the end, the thing was settled. And it was more than of like, you then negotiated and the things kind of happened. Now, there were some fights and some wars, but it was more like that was more of a show of like, you're fighting each other, but in the end, you're not going to kill each other. Well, thank you so much for joining us. One of our past guests, Tim Sniffen, had read your bio as, if you ask him about comics, then you can stand there and listen while your skeleton slowly turns into bleached bones or something like that, that you, you could talk. So definitely come back at some point to actually talk about comics, you know, and make us read something. I'd love to do that. Anything else you want to plug? No, just go out and do some awesome things. And I think that there's so much happening in the world right now that we can seclude us. So take some time to actually like even digitally to kind of reach out and try and understand some other folks and do some things for other folks too. All right. So long listeners. Thanks listeners. Thank you very much. Get more Pretty Much Pop at prettymuchpop.com. Get bonus content for every episode at patreon.com slash prettymuchpop. Pretty Much Pop is part of the Partially Examined Life podcast network, and it's also presented by openculture.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.